This is Decoding Security, a podcast from Microsoft Australia about how to protect your business from the ever-changing threat of cybercrime. On the show, you'll hear from leaders in cybersecurity as well as Microsoft experts as we break down strategies to help keep your business secure. I'm your host, Mark Anderson, and I'm the Chief Security Officer here at Microsoft Australia. In today's episode, we're joined by Samantha McLeod, a veteran Chief Information Security Officer who has held positions across multiple industries in Australia. My colleague, Daniel Alfredo, Product Manager at Microsoft Security, will speak to Samantha all about cyber risk identification. You'll hear how to identify key assets within an organization, how you can determine their risk profile, and how to evaluate the effectiveness of the controls that you've put in place. So with all that in mind, let's go over to Daniel to start the conversation. And as introduced, today's session, we will be talking about identifying risk and its importance when moving away from a maturity model and adopting a risk-based management approach. In the first part of this series, our industry panel touched on this topic, and one of the analogies that I really like that Mark gave is that you wouldn't apply the same risk policies to the machine counting donuts in the cafeteria as to the assets which host your warehouse management system. So while as much I would enjoy spending the next 20 minutes talking about baked goods with our next guest, who by chance is a director of the Organic Larder in Geelong, Victoria, we're here to learn more about risk identification. Without further ado, welcome Sam to our Managing Cyber Risk series. And before we get started, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. So please feel free to introduce yourself to our audience and some of the experiences that you've had in the field of cybersecurity. Thanks, Stan. Yes, I am the director of the Organic Larder. Due to COVID and a sabbatical that I was going to take to travel around the world, we ended up stuck. So I spent quite a bit of time helping my hubby automate and secure the larder, but that's a story for another day. Cybersecurity and any kind of IT risk governance roles have been, I guess, the foundation of my career. I've worked in Australia. I've worked internationally, mainly in corporate roles and for rather large financial services institutions as well as critical infrastructure. The last three roles that I've had have been as a chief information security officer or something similar and I really enjoy doing the role. At the minute what I'm doing is I'm a partner with the Security Collective, a small boutique firm where I step into interim executive roles like the chief information security officer role and I get to help organisations identify their risk action, some of the issues and challenges they have in the organisation around cybersecurity, but also have a look at how they address it more broadly across the enterprise and what kind of people they put in place and capabilities they have to deliver the services and the function. Thank you, Sam, for that introduction. I can see that you've achieved a few accolades in the cybersecurity field. And one of those areas was being recognised as the winner for the Enterprise Cybersecurity Team of the Year in 2019. And one of the questions I've got around that is, when you're working with or across different industries from financial services, as you mentioned, what does make the best in class cybersecurity team? The whole premise of cybersecurity is around trust. So it's about putting 
certain protections in place to manage your risk so that you're not eroding the trust of your customers or your regulators from an organisational perspective. And the same thing bodes for bringing a team together. So at the end of the day, the foundation that they're working to in order to be a high-performing team is trust. So you bring together a group of people from different walks of life. They bring unique skill sets to the job that they do. And it's kind of like putting together a whole heap of puzzle pieces to make up an approach to how you're going to address cybersecurity. There's all different sorts of skills you can bring into that as well. I've been really lucky to build teams from scratch the last couple of times that I've been working as a chief information security officer. And so what I do is I just take the time to understand what the organisation is trying to do and achieve, what the implications could be for them should a cybersecurity event occur. And then I have a look at what capabilities need to be delivered for the organisation to feel secure. And I find the people who can do that. But first and foremost, it's all about relationship building. We've got to make sure we understand how to push the right buttons and how everyone can be effective and work together. And you've got to build out all of that trust. A lot of people think that cybersecurity is a technology issue within itself, but it's actually more of a business issue. So it means there's an opportunity to bring in individuals from all works of life, experience, cultures, thought leadership, and try and aim for that best-in-class approach to managing cyber. So some of the teams I've seen that work incredibly well together have people in them that come from previously being a pilot, having been military personnel, teachers. I had uh, on one of my teams an investment banker and marketing and people, but it's just people who have got a thirst and a curiosity and understanding how businesses work and willingness to utilise their skill set and what they can actually bring to manage the condition of cyber. So I think that's a really great thing to start with. And I know that one of the questions that we are asking every speaker in this series is, why, in your own opinion, is it important to adopt a risk-based approach to cybersecurity? Most cybersecurity leaders or information security leaders that I come across do take a risk-based approach. It's all about treating the challenge of cybersecurity. I don't think it's a problem you can solve. So it's an ongoing, continuous effort to try and manage the risk. And importantly, taking a risk-based approach actually tells your organisation that you're thinking about the risk that you need to manage. You're not just throwing technology at the issue. You're not just looking at building defence in depth as important as that is by putting in layers and layers of tech. It's about knowing your business, understanding the threats that can come from cybersecurity for that business, having a look at how vulnerable you are, and then working out how do we actually manage this? What do we do to mitigate risk? And look, security folk do like to take that laid approach. They do love their tools, but I think a more strategic approach around what's your greatest risk and what does it mean for the organisation? How could you be exploited? And then how do you actually prioritise solving for those risks? It's important to know Know that cybersecurity is just one kind of risk for the organisation. And it's not unlike trying to look at credit risk or market risk. It's just knowing what the threats are, identifying those and documenting them, and then saying, what's the likelihood that this can happen? And then what would we actually do about it? What happens if one of those risks are realised? One of the really important things for organisations is to know what their risk appetite is from a cybersecurity point of view. For some organisations, they actually plan for losses, but other organisations have absolutely no risk appetite whatsoever for a cyber event to occur. So understanding all of those things and taking that approach, I think, is a more 
more foundational way of looking at cybersecurity and what you can do about it. Some organisations are taking what's called an all hazards approach. So they're actually taking the time to understand across every aspect of their organisation and whether it's cybersecurity or physical security or personal security, really having a look at where could a cyber event have an impact on what we do and how we do it and then how do we address that and simultaneously look at causes and where negative impacts could occur. So I think it's just really important to get the model right. But that said, it's not reinventing the wheel. So any organisation who's already doing operational risk management, they'll have a risk management framework. And it's about leveraging and utilising that to apply the same risk-based approach to cyber that you would to any other risk. It's just another risk thing. And I just think what's important is knowing what those risks are and how you connect technology to process to people and then to threats and vulnerabilities in the organisation. So let's talk about risk identification. And often we hear there is not a lot of proactive risk identification processes that organisations are taking, which is limiting really the ability to highlight concerns to the right decision makers before there is an issue. We all want to move in this way of being more proactive. So what are some of the things, in your opinion, that we could take in regards to the risk identification processes of threats and vulnerabilities? A lot of the organisations that I've worked in know what their business risks are and you've got to understand I've worked at the, more the top end of town, so some of those larger organisations, but we're seeing a lot in mid-tier and below now really starting to identify and understand what could impact their business and that's more broadly. It could be anything from your tech risk to all sorts of things, but a lot of that top end of town know what their security risks are. They've taken the time to do that and we're now starting to see that seed a lot more across a number of different industries. One really simple way to proactively start identifying your security risk is to just take your business strategy, distill it down and have a look at all the different outcomes you're trying to achieve for the next 12 months to three years and where are you vulnerable in that? Is it vulnerable because of the type of organisation you are or is it because of the industry you're in or the data that you hold? And actually have a look at where you've got great controls or where you may not be managing your risks so well from a cyber perspective. And I guess understanding the threats that are presented to your organisation by way of cyber attack or something like that, particularly if you, you know, there's a risk of data loss if you're an organisation with really cool and important data. But similarly, you can start at a project base. You could actually have a look at all the different projects going on in your organisation and dive in there and look at where you need projects to be delivering outcomes that close the gaps on security risk, not introduce more of them. And you can manage at an enterprise level uh, from there. But alternatively, really talking about your security threats, what that means for your business, and then taking a bit of a leap from threat to risk is probably the better way to go about doing it, in my humble experience, understanding what those threats are, highlighting where all of the opportunities are for that organisation potentially be exploited, and then giving some insight around what the impact would be if that could happen. What's the likelihood that something might go wrong? And if it does, what's going to happen to our organisation if that happens? Cyber risk identification occurs when you're taking that risk-based approach, but you're doing it across three pillars. You're looking at your critical assets, for one, and looking at the whole strategy of the organisation. You could be doing it by project, or you could be looking very specifically at security-based scenarios and intelligence that you've gathered around what the security threats are for your organisation. And again, it's no different to any other risk, but I think it's about understanding the specific cyber threats and the likelihood of them occurring. 
Now that we know which assets are important, the next step is to understand what the threats and vulnerabilities are for these assets. When identifying threats and vulnerabilities, what have you seen that is important or sometimes really not considered? As I mentioned previously, it's understanding your threats is an absolute precursor to managing cyber risk, but also knowing when you're vulnerable is really important. There is a lot of intelligence that can be gathered around all of that, whether it's from your security tools and your technology, whether it's from a security operations centre, as an example, we could also be using external vendors. So what's really important is to gather threat data. So have a look at threat reports from big vendors, uh, have a look at intelligence from government agencies such as the Australian Cybersecurity Centre. And if you have any outsourced services, ask your outsourcer. Often they're providing services across a number of different industries and organisations and they de-identify it and can provide it by way of a threat report. So you can actually see what's going on from a threat landscape perspective. When it comes down to what's specific for your organisation or your industry, that can be based on the data that you collect yourself. So once you know what your threats are, once you know what you're vulnerable to, there's lots of ways to triangulate that. But that vulnerability data is really, really important. So vendors like Microsoft, for example, provide CVEs. So you know when you've got a common vulnerability or some sort of exposure that you can close from a software perspective. You might have done IT testing, whether it's functional or user acceptance testing, and that'll tell you where you've got bugs in your code and errors and issues that could be exploited from a security perspective. Pretty common to do what we call penetration testing, which is practice around sort of friendly fire to see whether or not there's a way to get into the organisation and exploit an asset, whether it's a digital asset or an informational asset. And that helps you to identify a number of those risk spaces within your organisation. And you can do that on rotation and you can do it fairly often. Some organisations too run purple teams and red teams, as they call them in security. And the purple team's all about people who it's just their job every day to go and find the vulnerabilities in the organisation and make recommendations on how to patch them or solve for them. Whereas red teams tend to be external organisations that you hire to come in and try and hack your organisation. You might identify a few critical assets and say that we're not going to tell you how our organisation works, we're not going to let you know how our technology hangs together, let's see if you can actually get in and cause some havoc. What comes out of that is some really important reporting that tells you where you're vulnerable from right through your technology landscape, also from your people. A number of highly successful red teaming events start with someone being socially engineered in the organisation. So you can, people, process and technology all get tested from a cybersecurity perspective if you're doing a red team activity and then you can use that vulnerability data against your threat data as a measure of what the risks are within the organization and what you need to fix. I really want to loop onto a topic that we spoke about prior to connecting today was around asset valuation and how do organizations are determining the importance within this and, and I really want to take some time to get your perspective on that in regards to asset valuation and if it's a methodology that should be used. Absolutely. Asset prioritisation, first and foremost, is a great place to start for risk. So knowing what your critical assets are, or your crown jewels, for want of another term, and then looking at how you manage that operational risk and technology risk. So importantly, if you start conducting a cybersecurity activity to know what your cyber risks are, 
as they relate to your assets, you also start delving into the area of disaster recovery and business continuity planning. And the three of them together actually offer quite a lot of strength around managing risk. Because what you start to do is marry up, what are our threats? What are our vulnerabilities? So what could impact us and how do we identify that right through to if something happens, how can we restore and recover? And the term, you know, cybersecurity resilience is quite common at the moment. Everyone's trying to figure out how to be resilient from cyber threat. And this is one area that could be leveraged to actually help with that. So look at your vulnerabilities, look at your threats, marry them to your assets. Start looking at how you build out risk-based profiles based on each of those assets or perhaps even aggregate that profile. Have a look at if you've got one or two business units that own particular critical assets, you could start reporting what your cyber risk looks like by business unit or by customer activity or by informational assets. So I guess starting with really knowing what your critical assets are and what you need to do to protect them, married to threat and all the rest of it, you start to get a really interesting picture for the organisation overall around what cybersecurity risks is. Then you can start talking about how to mitigate them. And some organisations like to do that by knowing what the costs are that are involved. So there's a term called maximum foreseeable loss. So sometimes the activity from a risk-based perspective is to go, if this should happen and a particular cyber event, let's say your systems get locked up from a ransomware perspective and you can no longer get hold of all your customer data, what's the potential loss scenario there for us? So what's the reputational loss? What's the customer trust loss? What's the ramifications from a legal perspective? What does it mean for continuing to operate our business? You know, how do we recover from this? How long, from a business continuity point of view, can the business continue to run if we can't access that data? So using a, a kind of a scenario or one of those threats you've identified before, you can start to think about, well, monetarily, what does this mean for us? What's the loss that we could have as an organisation should we have a cyber attack of, of some description? One other way to do it, and there's a few different organisations out there who do this, is they define very specific cybersecurity scenarios and they map them all the way through. It's called using a threat or a kill chain. And they say, if a cyber event starts here in my organisation, which could be right up front and centre with social engineering, how far can an attacker go before our controls and the different mechanisms we've got in place to protect the organisation start to kick in? And does it just slow them down or does it stop them entirely? And at what point from end to end for that particular asset can we stop them? And that starts to give you a little bit of a perspective around how well your controls are performing, and we'll talk about that in a second. But it also helps identify the risk-based exposures you've got, helps you map out where your losses might start to occur, and then you can assess overall against your risk appetite, should an event like this occur, what's it going to cost us, can we tolerate it, and do we need to think about how we close those gaps and solve for those issues before it actually occurs. Actually, I really like the way that you've broken that down and how this conversation has evolved. We started with the people, you've covered off the processes and, and started to introduce the controls within that. So in regards to talking about controls and uncovering that a little bit, what is some of the steps in evaluating the effectiveness of those controls? And what are some of the ways that have been done previously or new ways that people should consider today? 
In my experience, the controls piece is probably the hardest piece when it comes to risk management practices. So looking at the effectiveness of your risk-based controls is really challenging because what you need to do is ideally look at them from two perspectives. One is, have they been designed effectively? And then are they operating effectively? Now, if they start to fail the design stuff right up front, you know you don't have very good controls. But depending on how many risks you're trying to manage and then depending on how many controls you found that help to manage those risks, it can be quite a large undertaking. You need to really think about the scope of what you're looking at and how you're going to divide that up and manage it over time and what your area of focus is. So if I take, for example, a financial audit, When an auditor comes in to do a financial audit, they have a very specific scope. They're looking just at your financial reporting systems. And there is an element to testing cybersecurity as part of a financial audit. So they will look at all of those controls. But they can do that in the timeframe that they have at the end of every financial year or however it's been defined because the scope has been limited to the financials the organisation and they'll look at different ways you get in but they're very much about financial reporting. So for an organisation to look at how well are their risks managed, they kind of need to look at scope. What's the term around you need to consider how you eat the elephant? It is a massive piece of work. So some organisations just run continuous programs where they're just going that bit of the organisation, then that bit, those assets, then these ones. Other organisations try and just do it all in one big bang at some point within each financial year. And there's various ways to test your controls. So you can have an independent party come in and do it for you. The security team can do it for you, or you may use a leveraged self-assessments. And what you're asking people to do is tell you that they have well-designed controls and whether that's technology or a process or a person and that there's less likelihood that they'll fail. So you actually start getting into from an operational effectiveness perspective, how well do they work? And a lot of the time you're taking sample data and you're looking at, okay, so 30 times that this happened, how many times did it work and not work? But there are another whole heap of other data points you can actually use to be doing continuous assurance and looking at controls effectiveness that can make it easier. So those read terming exercises and the pen tests we talked about before give you a whole heap of data around how well your controls are performing and how well you're managing your risks, right? So the overall program can leverage all of those things. And the scenarios will tell you. So if you decided to quantify your risk and monetize it, well, go back to that data, have a look at your threats and your vulnerabilities. That'll tell you where you've got controls that kick in to stop a threat from going all the way through or the ones that fail and, and don't. There are a few other things you can do from a profiling perspective as well, but ideally an assessment needs to be done per risk profile or per set of controls to actually have a look at how well are you managing this from an impact and a consequences point of view? What's the likelihood? How well do those controls work? And there's also key and non-key controls too. So key controls being the ones that are there all the time for that specific requirement to actually manage against that particular risk. And then the non-key ones are a whole heap of others that kind of back them up. Some organisations just choose to look at the key ones because it's just such a a tremendous effort to get in and try and look at all of your controls. One other way you can do it, which I've also seen in a few organisations that's really effective, is to look at worst probable case. 
So conduct a workshop around risk and just go almost like black swan event style thing. What is the worst thing that could happen from a cybersecurity perspective? What's all of the impacts? What's all of the consequences? What are the known controls that we've got? How else are we managing or preventing the risk and bringing that into the narrative as well? What you're really looking to do there is know what your residual risk is. And that residual risk piece is really important for the quantification of risk that we talked about before. And it'll tell you ideally where you need to invest from a risk perspective to start solving for some of your cybersecurity risk-based challenges. That was uh, quite a really detailed response. And some of the things I really enjoyed, like we're taking that bottom-up approach or looking at what's that worst-case scenario, but then also acknowledging the fact of some things that you can respond to, but then looking at other areas and just knowing at least you don't have the appetite or the budget, as you said, to be able to, to respond to those events. We're almost at time, so thank you very much, Sam, for joining me today. Before we do close out our session, what are some of your final thoughts or common mistakes or lessons that you can share with all of us that have joined today in around the topic of managing cyber risk? Thank you for having me, actually. So I'm a bit of a nerd and this is a passion area for me, so I could talk underwater forever about it. But I think the only thing we haven't touched on is how do you simplify it all or how do you automate it? And the identification process is interesting in that there are a lot of data sources you can go out and find that help you to identify where your risks are. But there's still a little bit of a burden on the organisation to then narrow that down or distill it down to get it right. It's a labour-intensive task, but there are technologies out there that can help you manage a large part of the risk process. So within your organisation, you've already got technologies that are helping to protect you at the attack surface that provide a lot of data around how well your controls are performing and where you're remediating or preventing risk from occurring in the organisation. I think the other thing that's really important is some of the assurance data you can get on the efficacy of controls more broadly across the organisation by having different tooling in place, some of which can identify it. They can actually report on it. They can remedy it at the same time and then report out for you. So without any sort of manual intervention, there are tools out there that can help you manage that process end to end and start closing off those gaps, which in turn improves your risk profile, right? So you're managing things yeah. better. And I think risk reporting is really important in organisations. So whether it's coming out of your tooling or whether it's something you have to do manually, being able to talk about risk and have your organisation more broadly understand, A, what cyber is, but then what cyber risk is, and keeping it really, really simple and easy to understand will then help bolster that risk-based culture in organisations. So then when you do have the data and you do have the technology and you're building out your processes, you're bringing the people along with it as well, which just goes end to end to having a really good cyber risk framework for the organisation that is just this continuously improving thing that helps to protect the organisation from any particular threats that are out there. I really appreciate you taking the time to go through the topic of why is it important to adopt a risk identification strategy and also explaining how cybersecurity teams can start their journey to move to a risk-based model. Thank you, it's been great. You've been listening to Decoding Security, a show about how to protect your business from the ever-changing threat of cybercrime. This podcast is brought to you by Microsoft Australia. 
Microsoft Australia provides a comprehensive suite of end-to-end -end security solutions unified across people, devices, apps, and data. For more information, visit the website microsoft.com forward slash decoding security. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Decoding Security, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Mark Anderson, and we'll be back next episode with more Decoding Security. Decoding Security.